And I want to start off by saying there was a sermon preached way back in May of 2000 to about 40,000 college students uh, outside of Memphis, Tennessee. And as this sermon was was preached, uh, the guy stood up there behind the lectern and everything was going against him from drizzle to wind. About halfway through his sermon, about half of its notes blew away. And what he did is he began to, as he began to to preach this sermon, he just, it was all going wrong. He's like, Lord, please, please anoint this sermon. And part, and then in the remaining notes, here's what he said. He said, three weeks ago, we got word at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards had both been killed in Cameroon. He said, Ruby was over 80 years old, single all of her life. She poured it out for the one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 years old and serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. The brakes failed, the car went over the cliff, and they were both killed instantly. And he said, and I asked my people, was that a tragedy? And all the students, all 40,000 of them responded, no. And the preacher echoed, no, that is glory. He said, I will tell you what tragedy is. And then he pulled out a page from the Reader's Digest and read this, quote, Bob and Penny, took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. He said this, he continues, quote, the American dream, come to the end of your life, your one and only life, and let the last great work before you give an account to your creator be. I collected shells. See my shells? He said, that is a tragedy. People today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. He said, and I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it, don't waste your life. Now the preacher back then in 2000 was a guy named John Piper. The sermon was known as the Seashell Sermon. And that impacted a whole generation of college students. And it's even impacted Biltmore Church, whether you know it or not. A lot of my friends, a lot of people that have preached here, a lot of people that will preach here, they said, you know what? That was a demarcation point for my life, for my ministry. A guy named David Platt, he uh, spoke at our pastor's conference a while back, wrote the book Radical. He said this, he said, you know what? That reoriented and redefined how I look at life. Matt Carter, he's the pastor at Sagemont Church in Houston, founded Austin Stone in Austin, Texas. He'll actually be preaching here this July. He was there and he said this, he said, you know what? That ended, that ended, the seashell sermon ended my dreams of retirement. J.D. Greer will be here in October, I believe, good friend. He said this, he had just returned from a two-year trip, two-year overseas mission trip when he came back and he was trying to figure out what he was going to do. He said, that was like a lightning bolt in my life. When he said, don't waste your life, he says, that phrase still haunts me. He said, the idea is simple. Eternity is real, the gospel is true. People's souls matter, your life counts. Don't waste it. Way back in like... uh, Like 10 years ago, that particular sermon got put into print. It's now been read and put into 600,000 copies. And one of the things that touches on loved ones is this, is that everybody in general and Christ followers in particular, somewhere in your DNA is saying, you know what? I wanna make a difference. I wanna make a mark. 
I don't want to just make a living. I want to actually make a mark. They did a survey of teenagers about, you know, check the top three things that you want to have true about your future. Surprisingly, like only 18% said, I want to make a lot of money. About 28% said, you know what, I want to have a big home. 96% of them said, you know what, I want to know my purpose and I want to make a difference that outlasts me. And again, the truth is, especially if, the truth is, if you've accepted Jesus, you've accepted the call to make a difference. If you've accepted Jesus as your savior, you have accepted the call to be on mission. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said, I chose you that you would go and bear fruit. The call to follow Jesus is the call to make an impact. And in this year of the Bible, by the way, in this year of the Bible, I want to walk you through a story that shows you a couple of characteristics of people who do make a difference. What do they have? What is that thing that's like, you know what, they hold on to that. And what in our case did Joshua need to be reminded of for him to be one of those people that, you know what, they make a difference. I want to make a difference. I want our church to make a difference. As we are emerging from this pandemic, I firmly believe with every fiber in my being, we've had phenomenal days in the past. Firmly believe that the greatest days are ahead of us. The greatest days of ministry, the greatest days of harvest, of seeing people just like Ty turn and come to Christ. And as we do that, though, we've got to make sure we keep a couple of these things in mind, collectively and individually. So Joshua chapter one is where we're gonna be. I'm gonna walk through first nine verses and then I'm gonna take these two principles out of that. But let's walk through it. I'll give you some background. There's actually one place we'll camp for a couple of minutes and I'll point you to some resources because it might, it might trouble you and uh, it's a good, good question to ask and answer. But Joshua chapter one. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses's assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Hold up right there. Nobody is irreplaceable. Nobody is irreplaceable. Moses was one of the preeminent leaders in the Old Testament. He gets five words here. Moses, my servant is dead. Boom, it's up to the next guy. His name is Joshua. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all of this people into the land that I am giving to them to the people of Israel. Let me give you a little context before we go to verse three. Joshua is one of those guys in the Bible that even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably have heard of him. People name their kids Joshua. Joshua is the handpicked successor to Moses to lead the people from the wilderness wanderings into the land that God had promised. Joshua is one of the spies that came back with a good report. If you remember, he sends out the 12 spies and only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, they come back with the good report. They say, you know what? The giants are big, the obstacles are huge, but our God is bigger and we need to obey God and we need to follow God and we need to do that. The other 10 were cowards, they lacked faith. They said, no, we cannot do that. We can't do that and we don't remember any of them. We don't remember them, number one, because they're cowards. Nobody remembers a coward. Nobody remembers somebody who says, I should do it, I'm called to do it, but I simply won't do it. But secondly, because man, those guys had some strange names, just so you know. There's some hard to pronounce names. One of them was uh, Shofat, all right? That was one of the other spies, Shofat. Parents, 
Here's a little word to the wise from Uncle Bruce here. Don't name, don't name your kid Shofat, all right? Don't name your kid uh, Shofat. If you name your kid Shofat, it will not go show well with them, okay? It just won't, all right? Shofat's going to prom by himself, so don't name him Shofat. Nobody remembers him. We remember Joshua. We remember Caleb. But here's verse three. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. This is the promise, this is the promised land. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses. He's gonna say this three times, by the way. I want you to know three times in the text, he says, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. The idea is that Joshua was strong and courageous, but 40 days in the wilderness, 40 days of just being with a bunch of disrespectful, disobedient people had kind of dulled the edge of his walk with the Lord. He's having to remind him, listen, you be courageous, be courageous, don't be scared, don't be a coward. And the way he's gonna do it, he's gonna also say three times, listen, I will be with you, I will be with you, I will be with you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So here's the, here's the idea, it's very easy, and we saw this with Moses' call, it's very easy to look for confidence, whether you gotta step into a board meeting, whether you gotta step in front of a football team, whether you gotta start a new ministry, whether you gotta take a step of faith and like foster, you know, go into foster care with a child, whatever that is, it's gonna take some courage. And our tendency is to look in the wrong place. We've been told by parents, we've been told by teachers, I mean, you're awesome. You're a snowflake, you're a Skittle, you're irreplaceable. Look within yourself. And what you see over and over and over and over and over in these calls that we're seeing in this journey through the Bible, it's not look on the inside of you, it's look who is beside you over and again. Don't look on the inside, look who is beside you. Because here's what he says in verse six. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. All right, let's do a little time out here. The reason I've got to do a timeout is Joshua, if you don't know this, uh, Joshua is probably the bloodiest book in the Bible. And oftentimes people have great difficulty. They're like, man, this is like, you're telling me these people are supposed to go in there and wipe everybody out. That doesn't sound like meek and mild Jesus that I read about in the New Testament. So let me just uh, stop here for a second. Number one, there's going to be resources, actually there already is, uh, resources on the Year of the Bible landing page that has some, even a quick little five-minute video as well as some longer resources to help you kind of figure out morality and war and all that kind of stuff. It's in there. We can't spend 40 minutes on just that. But I do want to give you two things. Number one, there's some resources. Uh, number two, this was for a time and place. This was not like an open thing for the nation of Israel. Like, go do what you want to, okay? As a matter of fact, when you study the Bible, God gives this for a special time to Israel with clear instructions never to be repeated. As a matter of fact, they were not even allowed later on to have an army like the rest of the nations around them. But make no mistake, this was judgment on a group called the Canaanites. The Canaanites, history shows, were one of the most depraved and wicked people and people groups that history has seen. 
they oftentimes would worship a God named Molech and they would take oftentimes their, to try to appease Molech, they would take their children and throw them into the fire to appease Molech. And so when you think, is this judgment? Absolutely, it is judgment. It is judgment. You might think differently, maybe if you're like, all right, what if God did this to, let's say, ISIS or God did this to the Nazis in 1940s, you would probably think a little bit differently of it. If you struggle with it, just go, and it should be something you at least wrestle with. It's a difficult question. Take advantage of the resources. Verse seven, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. Which, by the way, is just the Bible they had at that point was really just the first five books of the Bible. All right, we got 66. They had the first five books, the Torah. That's what they had. But this is another reason why we preach. It's not like the year of the Bible. Hey, we're going to preach the Bible this year. We preach it every single year. Our Connect Group teachers, they teach it every single week. And so realize that's what we do. We want to look at it. We want to study it. We want to think about it. That's why our whole thing is like, man, go, get on that reading plan. Whether you do junior varsity, varsity, college, whatever you do, get on one of those reading plans and just get in there. Think about it. You can understand it. And uh, here's the verse. Uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate, which is going over. It's like, a, it's like an earworm, like a song. Um, what would be a good way to get that in your head? Okay, for some of you in my generation, if I go, bum, 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 ba, da, bum, bum. okay, you already know it. So that's an earworm. So you, you meditated on that. What he's saying is meditate, uh, med meditate on it day and night. Meditate on the word so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And, and then, uh, for then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. And then verse nine says this, have I not commanded you? The answer is yes, he's, he definitely has commanded him. Be strong and courageous. Yeah, but how? But how? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. He says it again. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So here it is. There was a specific action God was calling Joshua to take. But underneath Joshua, there was a ton of other jobs that people had as well. Right? You had cooks, you had equipment managers, you had trainers, you had soldiers, you had all of those, a wide variety of roles. So you're here, whether you're at Brevard, whether you're at Hendersonville, wherever you are, you are here and God has called you, if you are a Christ follower, to make a difference. And we have a lot of different roles. We have a lot of different jobs. Some of you, uh, some of you uh, blue collar, some of you are white collar, some of you have PhDs, some of you can't spell GED, all of those things in between. Different income levels, different races, different backgrounds, all of that, but we are to be a people who make a difference, and it's going to vary. It's going to vary. Some of you, again, it's going to be begin a ministry. Others, it's going to be acts of generosity. Others of you, it's just going to take courage to get baptized, all right? Just to take a step and get baptized. All of this is going to take courage. So what do we need to take from it? Uh, let me give you principle number one. I'll never get tired of telling our church this. God wants to use me. As a matter of fact, wherever you are, at the count of three, and you don't have to say it out loud. Don't look over at your spouse or don't look over at somebody else, but just, uh, just kind of do yourself. At the count of three, just, just say, just God wants to use me. One, two, three. God wants to use me. Please understand that. The God of the universe wants to use, he wants to use you. 
He doesn't need us, but he invites us into the story. The Bible that I'm using, it says at the start, there's a little heading that they added to say, God commissions Joshua. Maybe yours says that. Maybe yours says God calls Joshua. So what I want you to understand is many Christians think that calling is a sacred experience reserved for a select few. Please, 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 gotta hear this. Biblically, all Christians are called to ministry. Old Testament, you had the priesthood and you had the people and there was this massive separation. Those are the professionals, these are the amateurs, stay in your lane, stay there, we'll tell you what to do. In the New Testament, it's not the priests and the people, it says if you're a Christ follower, you are a priest, you are a minister. Now, I'm not saying that every single person is called to vocational ministry. Not every person is called to pastor or lead a church. Not every person is called to get up and go to the other side of the world. But what you gotta understand is if you're a Christ follower, the question is not if you are called, if God wants to use you, it is where and how. Now again, sometimes people are called to leave what they know and go off somewhere. This week I was talking to a uh, our missionaries that built more supports in a different part of the world. All right, it's a part that in some cases you gotta be real careful when you share your faith. And they were just they, in their country on furlough and I was just asking their story and listening to their story. And I, just, as I listened to his story, he was a physics major. <laughs> I can't even spell physics, all right? He was a physics major. I mean, doing differential equations and all that kind of stuff. And then God said, listen, I don't want you doing this. I don't want you going to med school. You are going to go over here. And man, you talk about some joyful people on the other side of the world. That is a part of God's calling. But for the majority of us, here's what I would say, is God doesn't call you out of your job to go do another job as he uses people in their careers, on your football teams, in your neighborhoods, and to leverage our jobs, not just for provision for our family, but for the declaration and the demonstration of the gospel. God put you at Borg Warner. God put you at Advent. God put you at Mission. He did that. And it's not looking for people that are like mega talented. He's not. When we think about this, when we think God calls the Joshua's and he calls the Moses's and go to the New Testament, and he calls the Peter's and he calls the Paul's. But you got to understand, read the Bible carefully. Read the New Testament carefully. Read the book of Acts carefully. And you will see that for a while, this is a, for a while, the gospel kind of stayed in Jerusalem for way too long. He said, go out and spread it, but it's like, it's staying in Jerusalem. And it actually took some persecution to get it where people got scattered and the gospel just spread like wildfire. Could it be, church, that God sovereignly takes a pandemic and even though it was awesome to have people flooding in here to say, you know what, for a period of time, we're gonna send you out. Even though it's difficult, even though it's hard, I'm gonna send you out. If you wanna look at Acts chapter 11 sometime, Acts chapter 11, there's a church there called Antioch, one of the healthiest churches in the Bible. In the church at Antioch, what it says is, it wasn't talking about all the superstars, it was talking about them, T-H-E-M. It says, you know what, the hand of the Lord was on them. You're like, well, who was them? Them were the people that nobody would ever know their name. They knew Paul, they knew Peter, they didn't know them, and yet them is who God used to push the gospel out. And so here, uh, as, as I was thinking this week, pre-COVID, church, just as we kind of emerge from this deal, just as we can, just understand, pre-COVID, Pre-COVID, I mean, each year's been more and more fun until 20 hit. But what happened is pre-COVID, January, February, March, and listen to the reason I'm saying this, somewhere between eight and 9,000 people would gather to the Biltmore campuses. 
The reason that that was so, as I thought about that this week, is what that tangibly means is there are very few businesses, very few stores, very few schools, very few any restaurants where there is, whether it be Transylvania County, Henderson County, Macon County, Buncombe County, if you just do the math, there are very few hospitals where there is not, at least not one, if not dozens of Christ followers that are like, Biltmore Church is my home, I'm a Christ follower, and he did not do that by accident. He didn't just put you there so you can make a living, he put you there to make a difference. And so uh, when we look at this, uh, we always say at the end of our services, you're loved and you're sent, you're loved and you're sent, you're loved and you're sent. And the question is, during this crazy last 12 months, 11 months, have we taken that and said, you know what, I'm loved by God, but I'm also sent. All right, so you've got to be able to say, God wants to use me. All right, God wants to use me. Second phrase I want you to say with me. Here's it is. God will be with me. Okay, count of three. All you got to say is, you're like, well, I'm not sure he's going to be with me. We're going to look at it. Count of three, just say, God will be with me, all right? So one, two, three, God will be with me. You're like, how is that even possible? How does that even work? Now, in the text, three times, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong. And God does not have a speech impediment. He doesn't. He's like, oh, I forgot. I already told you that. That's not what he's doing. He's telling it to him over and over and over. And every time he does it, he connects it with the fact that I will be, I will be with you. I will be with you. So the question on the four then is how is God with us? I mean, is it some kind of feeling you get when you're singing how great thou art? It's like God's with us. I got a tingle. Is that it? Old Testament, the way God was with his people is he watched over his people. He watched over them. Old Testament, he would watch over his people. Pillar of cloud, fire, he'd watch over his people. In the Gospels, he walked with his people. In the person of Jesus, he was with his people physically as he walked with his people. What's amazing is, is in the post-Pentecost, he didn't just he didn't walk with us, he's actually within you. And if we just think about that, that will blow your mind. I'll give you an example. How many of us truly believe John 16, 7, when he says this? He told his disciples, Jesus says, it is for your benefit, your advantage, that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. I mean, how many of us really believe that when he says, you know what, it is to your benefit. I tell you what, the disciples did not believe it because you can tell by their reaction. It's better for you if I leave and send the counselor than if I continue to walk with you. Now let's have, let's have a little fun. How awesome would it have been to have Jesus walk with you? That would be so fun. That would be. Think about it. You're late for work. Jesus is with you. Bam! He just opens up a lane on I-26 and you fly downtown. I mean, he's like, how awesome would that be? What if you, uh, you get to work and you're like, oh, I forgot my lunch. All I got are these nasty old saltine crackers. Bam! He takes that saltine cracker, makes like T-bone steaks for everybody. You got 12 baskets left over. How awesome would that be? Um, your dog dies. Bam! He raises the dog from the dead. How awesome is that? Your cat dies. Bam! What's he do? 
He helps you bury that thing. That's what he helps you do. That would be awesome if Jesus walked with us. But, 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 he says it's to our advantage. It's our advantage, our advantage that he actually goes and sends the Spirit. So let's figure it this way. Let's apply it. What do we fear? Because in Joshua, fear equals disobedience. Fear equals rebellion. Fear equals I'm not going to do what God tells me to do. That's what fear equals. That's why he's saying you got to be courageous. you got to be courageous. Now, we have surface fears. I mean, surface fears, you see the list. You know, it's like speaking in public and spiders and snakes and all that stuff. But if you go down a little bit deeper, there's a lot more what I'd call below-the-surface fears. Below-the-surface fears are really, especially here in the West, probably the number one fear that we have in the West is just being rejected by people. Just being rejected. They won't like me. People, people won't like me. And so people keep us from stepping into the promise that God has for you. And he wants to make a difference with you, and it's God within you, which means it's about your availability more than your ability. So here's what you have to understand. With God, obedience is our job. Outcome is his job. Got to get that. When it comes to what is God challenging you to do, what is God asking you to take a step of faith, step into his promises? It's not about the outcome. That's God's job. Our job is to actually obey what he says. And you and I know that because the first thing that he's supposed to do is go to that famous story about the walls of Jericho. And we play that song and we sing that little children's song like it's like, you know, Monty Python or something like that. And it's like, listen, that was the most fortified city that there was in that time. The reason that he's like, you know what? That's what I want you to do. I'm scared to do that is because it was scary. Those people were cruel to anybody that they would beat in battle. And it doesn't make sense. Let's start off with an easy victory. But mark this down. Some of the stuff God is going to ask you to do doesn't always make sense to an unbelieving world. I mean, it doesn't. You can just go down the list. What? You're going to get... You're going to allow somebody to put your head under the water in front of a bunch of people, hold you there because, you're, because of something somebody 2,000 years ago told you to do? Wait a minute. You're going to go to the Dominican and feed hungry kids, but you have an invitation to go to Disney? That does not make sense at all. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Your kids are now driving and you're almost to the empty nest and you're telling me you're going to foster a kid that's probably got a bunch of baggage? That makes no sense at all. Loved ones, sometimes it's not going to make sense what God tells you to do. It didn't to Peter. I mean, think about Peter. He goes from like Rocky to Satan in about two paragraphs flat. Remember the scene in Matthew 16? He's like, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he's like, bingo, you got it right. And then Jesus starts talking about substitutionary atonement down on the cross. He's like, you're not going there. And not more than a couple paragraphs later, Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. That doesn't make sense to what we think. And so real quickly, here's the instructions for Jericho in case you forgot. He says, go to the most fortified city in that land. I want you to get a praise team together with skinny jeans. And I want you to walk around. I want you to walk around the walls for seven days. I mean, these are soldiers and they want to fight. And Joshua was taken over after Moses. So he wants to prove himself. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to listen to me. I want you to trust me. I'm, I'm involved with the outcome. Your job is obedience. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to put the ark out in front, and I want you and the soldiers to march around that city 
and then stop and then do it for six days in a row. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around it seven times. I mean, how crazy is that? That's, those instructions are crazy. That's like a football team. They get in the huddle. It's like, all right, here's the plan. We're going to hold hands and we're going to sing away in a manger and we got no play. That is, what's our plate? That's our plate. Hold hands. We're going to sing away. Yeah, but we got to make some, hold hands and sing away in the manger. Obedience is our job. Outcome is, is God's job. Here's a couple questions. What if they'd have stopped on day six? Because I promise these soldiers, they go around at one time. They're like, well, maybe God's doing something. I can't see it. Day two, well, maybe those walls are kind of rumbling. Did you see that little crack in that wall? Day three, it's like they know cracking that wall about that time. People starting to taunt them from up there. Like, hey, your mother smells elderberries. And I just throwing all this stuff on them. You imagine they go home from work. Wife says, hey, how was your day? We did the same thing. Well, did you fight? Did you get in a fight? No, we just walked and walked around. We just walked. That's all we did. What if they'd have stopped on day six? They never would have seen it. Now, I think the walls would have still come down. He just would have used somebody else to do it. What we do is we stop on day six. What has God called you to do that you have stepped about halfway in and you've not finished the job? Because you and I are in this story. We're in this story. And the question is, what has God called you to do? Because here's the partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. Well, I'm going to go halfway. I'm going to take Jesus' teaching on, uh, I'm going to teach you on mercy and love and forgiveness, but I'm not going to take his teaching on sex and money and dating. I'm not going to take it. That's partial obedience. And you don't understand what the Lord Jesus Christ means. Lord, there's all this, there's all this talk about, well, is he Lord or is he Savior? There's been books written about, do you accept him as Lord or do you accept him as Savior? And the answer to that question is, yes, you do. Yes, you do. The Lord Jesus Christ. When you come to Christ, you say, you know what? What you did on that cross counted for me. When you pushed up on those nail-scarred hands, you said, you know what? I believe that that counted for me. Somehow it is finished, counts for me. That's, his, that's your Savior. But in the same way, repentance means, repentance and faith, two sides of the same coin. When you come to Christ, you say, I believe you are who you say you are, and I'm not the boss of me anymore. You're the boss of me. You can't separate the two. And I'll just tell you right now, folks, in the South, it is big to compartmentalize the two. That'd be as silly as me showing up to your house and ringing the doorbell and you're like, Bruce, come on in. Frank, stay out. Bruce, come on in. Frank, stay out. I wouldn't even know what to do with that. It's like, you know, it's, it's both and. You get all or you get nothing. And the biggest indicator that it's not the Lord Jesus Christ is partial obedience. So let me throw it out there again. Here's some examples that might be all over the place. Is there a relationship that you need to end? All right, teenager, you know, it's, it's not what God has called you to do. You're a Christ follower and you know that that guy you're dating is not, he's not good for you. Drop that guy. You're like, well, he's going to come to Christ someday. Well, great. And one of the ways he might come to Christ is by you being obedient to God. Others of you, like, it's not dropping somebody, it's actually recommitting to your marriage. Some of you are at church right now, and you're thinking, you know what? I'm going to the lawyer in three weeks. I'm going to the lawyer in three weeks, and you need to repent of that right now. You need to repent of that and say, you know what, God? You love me when I'm unlovable, and I'm going to love my spouse even though it's difficult right now. 
You know what, I'm not quitting on day six. We're going the whole way. Others of you, and I, I, others of you, it is money. God can't even get you to sponsor a compassion child, much less tithe, and you're like, I wonder what God wants me to do. How about start off with taking care of a poor kid? How about that? I'm sure I'm gonna get an email on that. That'll be awesome, can't wait for it, all right? Some of you are, some of you are actually, uh, some of you, I guarantee, somebody watching, somebody at the campus, you've been wrestling with a call to ministry. God has called you to ministry. God has called you to be a missionary. God has called you to preach. Parents, he's called some of your kids to be a missionary and you can't let it go. You're like, I don't want him to. The grandkids will be too far away. It's just, it's just, it's just true. Um, others of you, God has said to get into community and you've used a plague to get out of community and you hadn't, used, you hadn't had anybody speak into your life in months I'm not talking about you gotta go to a worship service right now if you're not comfortable. I'm talking about community, all right? There's a Hebrew word called Zoom, okay? And that can still be done to some extent even right now. Just community. Guys, step up if you're a husband. Man, I'm just getting into all sorts of trouble. I'm just saying, guys, if you are a guy, if you are a husband, lead your family, bro, and lead them into a small group. You're usually the problem. Husbands, we're the problems that we don't want relationships. It's not the wife, it's us most of the time. So man, let's man up and let's act like men and let's spiritually, lovingly, sacrificially lead our families into community. They're like, man, I don't see God working. That's a dumb plan. You know, I bet you a lot of people that were sitting at the foot of the cross thought that was a dumb plan too. I bet you a lot of people saw Jesus dying in your place, dying as a substitute, dying in pain and agony. And they're sitting at that cross like, you know what? I don't see God working. I don't see God moving. That's a dumb plan. He should have come as a governor. He should have come as somebody famous. And the whole time, God was working. So here's the question that you have individually, we have as a church, I've got as a pastor. Listen, are we gonna step into God's promises? Say, God, use me. God, you'll be with me. Or are we gonna just collect seashells? Why don't you bow your heads for a second? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Before I pray for us, just take those two little truths out of this passage. Just thank God. God, thank you that you want to use me in all my brokenness and all my past and all my junk and all my mess. You can take my mess, you can make something just marvelous from it. And then just thank God, God, that you're with me. You're with me through the person of the Holy Spirit of God. You live on the inside of me to exhort me, to remind me, to equip me, to teach me, to Give me courage. And just in your own way, you say, God, would you give me the courage to step into the promises you've made, leave the outcome to you, and take ownership of the obedience. Father, it's been a, a crazy 12 months. It has been challenging. It has been lonely. It has been difficult it is where a lot of us we're just we're not even healthy emotionally right now so God our prayer is that as we start emerging a little bit in the weeks and months ahead that the things that haven't changed is we know that you know what we are loved and we're sent we are loved and we are sent we are loved and we are sent it's not just Joshua it's not just Caleb it's not just Paul it's just not Peter it's them it's us so God, our prayers are that the days ahead in Transylvania, Macon, Henderson, Buncombe, that would be the most incredible, fruitful, 
soul-winning times that we've ever seen for the glory of God and for the advancement of the gospel. God, thank you for Ty's story today and how that challenges us and how we yearn to make a difference. God, don't ever let that leave our church. Thank you for the past. We give you the future. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you use us. In Jesus' name, amen.